This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. I'm going to be reading two passages of Scripture this morning. The first is from the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 5. The second will be uh, from the Old Testament Uh, the book of Malachi, chapter 2, and the book of Malachi is what the sermon uh, will be focused on this morning. But first, our New Testament reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." Now from the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why, then, are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, And has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. Um, For me, it feels like a... uh, kind of like a family reunion, been gone a week and just being gone that week, it's just fantastic to be back here with the congregation of First Pres. 
That's what Sunday really is, isn't it? It's a family reunion each week. We gather, we gather with our God, we gather together, and we gather to worship Him. As we gather today, we're looking at Malachi chapter 2. We're finishing it off chapter 2, and we'll be completing um, verses actually 10 through 16. So we won't quite be finishing um, verse 17. We'll save that for next week. But just before we plunge into that, let's take a moment and just ask God to prepare our hearts and to, to help us to focus. Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to be here, to be your people in your house, hearing from you. Lord, we're thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful for the Bible. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. We have much to be thankful for because we are redeemed people. We've been redeemed by the blood of your Son, whom you sent because you love us. He came, he entered this world, he lived an obedient life so that he could be perfect on our behalf. Our sins were attached to him and his righteousness is granted to us. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. And as we sit in your house, Lord, we pray that we would love you more. That our eyes would be fixed on heaven. That our hearts would be drawn to you. God, we pray that we would be transformed by this meeting together in such a way that that we hate what you hate and love what you love, that we would be your children more faithfully. God, speak to us. I pray, Lord, for my words that I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, I pray that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Growing up, there was a little song we used to sing in Sunday school. It went something like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. And then it gave this reason. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. That's a beautiful song in The only thing I think that can improve it is to add this one line. Be careful, little heart, what you crave. Be careful, little heart, what you crave. See, in the New Testament, Jesus explains there at the Sermon on the Mount that one's heart always determines one's treasures. One's heart always determines one's treasures. Therefore, as we'll see in our text this morning, the key point could simply be stated as this. An unguarded heart willfully breaks covenant. Let me say that again. An unguarded heart willfully breaks covenant. Kind of a little bit of background for anybody just jumping in with us in this book. We've been in a series on the Minor Prophets, but as we've been working through this last of the Minor Prophets, Malachi... We've seen a formerly exiled people, a remnant, have the opportunity to return to the promised land. But upon their returning, they blatantly disobey God. We've seen them offer blemished sacrifices on God's altar in chapter 1 of Malachi. We've seen 
the priest intentionally neglecting the teaching of God's word for their own benefit in chapter 2. And now we see at the middle portion or near the end of chapter 2, a people willfully breaking covenant with God and willfully breaking covenant with one another. What's most shocking about all of that is that they're doing all of this in the face of the God who loves them. Using the words of the song, the one who looks down in love. They willfully, willfully sin against him. Note the oracle back in chapter 1, verse 2. It begins with this phrase, How I have loved you. I love you, the Lord says. I love you. Notice the emphasis that God has loved his people. God is a faithful God to his relationship with his people, but his people have been unfaithful to him. And that unfaithfulness stems from an unguarded heart. Their hearts have loved everything and anything rather than loved the God who loves them. Let me say that again. Their hearts have loved everything and anything rather than loving the God who loved them. Pastor Eric Alexander reminds us that sin not only breaks God's law, sin breaks God's heart. That's an important point this morning that we need to remember. That in relationship with God and His covenant faithfulness to us, He is faithful in every respect. And therefore, when we sin, it's not just that we're breaking the law, we're breaking God's heart in a respect. We're cheating on God. We're rebelling against our Creator. So let's take a look at our text. One of the first things you're going to notice in, is what I entitled the detachment from reality. I think that a detachment from reality was what ultimately brought them into the state of sin that they're in. See, sin often begins in our fantasies. In letting our minds and our hearts wander, we begin to see what others have and we begin to covet what they have. We begin to desire what they have. But in our text there in verse 10, we see Malachi bring the people back to reality. He's putting his finger in their chest and he's calling out their sin. And we're going to see him do this with a series of questions. Look at verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Notice the emphasis on one. One Father, one God, one covenant. Seems to actually be referencing another passion, another passage in the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. We read this in Deuteronomy. Is not the Lord your Father? Who created you, who made you, who established you? Do you hear the similarity between this command of Moses, or excuse me, of Malachi as he pushes in compared to Moses' command in Deuteronomy? Is not the Lord your father who created you, who made you, who establishes you? Think about the responsibility of that relationship. God as Father, He creates. God as Father, He establishes His people. They're His people. They're one people. They're one family gathering together. 
And yet this one family profanes the covenant. How do they profane the covenant? By being faithless to one another. Notice in verse 10 it says they're profaning the covenant. God has established the covenant saying, I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. That's an interesting statement as God makes it. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. It's almost as a picture of a wedding ceremony where God is taking his vow and stating clearly to his people, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God. This is the promise that God has. And God has been faithful to it. God has been faithful to his vow. He's been steadfast in his love. The Hebrew word for that is hesed. He's been steadfast in his love. Never, ever has God in all of Scripture broken his covenant with his people. In fact, it is written, his faithfulness is written in the blood of Jesus Christ there in the New Testament. He goes so far to fulfill the promise that there in the New Testament, he actually writes the covenant promise in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to his vow. Yet all the while, the people willfully break covenant with God and one another. It says in the text they're faithless to one another. You know what's interesting is the phrase one another. That phrase in Scripture, especially the New Testament, is used again and again and again and again. And just listen to some of the ways that phrase one another is pictured and how it's supposed to operate. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 7, we're told we're to live in harmony with one another. We're to welcome one another. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, we're told to comfort one another. We're to agree with one another. We're to live in peace with one another. In Galatians 5, 13, we're to serve one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, exhort one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, show hospitality one to one another without grumbling. Or how about 1 John 1, 7, have fellowship with one another. Yet rather than loving and being faithful to the covenant and the relationship they have one with another in the family of God, these people were faithless to one another. And by being faithless to one another, they're profaning the covenant. Why? They're letting their minds and their hearts wander. The question before us is, how are we being faithful to God? How are we being faithful to God, and how are we being faithful in our relationships to one another? Are we letting our hearts wander? Are we looking around and and seeing what other people have and crave that more than we crave what God has given us in himself and in the relationship of the church? He begins to work through in our text what this faithlessness looks like. He begins to define it. We're told as they broke covenant with God by their infidelity with one another. We begin to see it as we begin to unpack this text that every act of sin was actually against one another and therefore they were profaning the covenant of God, this bond of oneness that God had intended. The faithlessness first is pictured in intermarriage, notice this phrase, with daughters of a foreign God. 
It goes on to say, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and married the daughter of a foreign god. See, they married these daughters of foreign god. What does that mean? It's not simply intermarriage that was the problem. Remember, we have examples of that being a good thing in people like Ruth or Rahab. These were, these were women who were outside the covenant, who eventually were grafted into the covenant. And what was the problem? The problem here in Malachi is that he's talking about these were pagan women who were still committed to their foreign gods, to their false religion. These women were like the wives of Solomon, which if you go back in the story was the very reason the people of God went into exile in the first place, as they began to worship the false gods of the people around them. Paul talks about this in the New Testament. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 16. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then he makes this statement, For we are the temple of the living God. Interesting enough, go back to verse 11 of our text. And it says that Judah had profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. But understand that that sanctuary is themselves. They were supposed to be a people holy unto God. God himself was to dwell in them. But because of their sin, because of their infidelity, because of their wandering, they were unholy. They were profaning the sanctuary. The sanctuary that God loves. God wasn't talking about being in love with brick and mortar. And God wasn't talking about being, being in love with, with a facility. The Lord was talking about being in love with his people. And yet they profane it. They profane their sanctuary by becoming unholy. The holy people of God were living in an unholy way. And so we're told that the Lord warned them. That's exactly what he's doing through Malachi. But this isn't the first warning from the Lord. Go all the way back again to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4, and we're told of a warning that God gives through Moses of letting their sons intermarry with foreign wives. He says, they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be against you, and he will destroy you quickly. Don't mess around. Be holy. Be pure. Be that sanctuary. After all, remember, isn't the Lord as described here as the Father? And doesn't a father have the responsibility and the right to choose whom his children should marry? But they were faithless, they were profaning the covenant by marrying the daughters of a foreign god. That wasn't all. Look at verse 13. He goes on to say, And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with your tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regard the offering that uh, your offering as acceptable in favor of your hand. Basically, he's saying that, that ultimately what you're doing is you're coming to the altar and you're grasping the hand of your mistress and you're confused as to why God won't receive your sacrifice. 
And then when you realize he won't, you weep, you cry. See, they came to the altar. They came to worship. But they didn't want to give up their idols. They didn't want to give up the thing that their heart loved and desired and treasured. They acted as though everything should be okay. It should just be acceptable. That God should just be happy that we're present. But hear this, this morning, God wasn't happy. God wasn't having it. God would not accept their offering. But then he goes on to mention yet a further sin. In verse 14, he mentions the divorcing of their wife of their youth. He says, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In this text, they're profaning the covenant by their faithlessness to one another. And this time, he focuses specifically on on their marriages, their broken marriages. Notice he says the Lord witnessed their vows between them and the wife of their youth. When I do weddings, I have to have witnesses. And so I always tell the bride and groom, you need to choose people to be your witnesses who can sign the document. And oh yeah, these people have to be over 18 years old, so it's a legal binding document. These people are witnessing that you've taken vows. But you know what? More important than those witnesses, there's a greater witness. And the witness of those vows is the Lord God himself, Malachi reminds them. The Lord is the witness. He witnesses you and the wife of your youth. He witnesses those vows. The wife of your youth. Interesting phrase. Most men during that time period got married between the ages of 17 and 20. But interesting enough, as they aged, they evidently decided that they were going to begin divorcing their wives of their youth in order to marry younger women from the nations. What they basically were doing was they were trading their wives of their youth for a newer, younger model. It's disgusting. One may ask, why divorce? In that culture, couldn't they just keep marrying? Couldn't they just keep adding wives? Remember, back with Adam and Eve, God had always intended there to be one, but that that wasn't because they were spiritual that they were divorcing. It wasn't because they were saying, well, you're only allowed to have one wife at a time. It may have been because of the financial burden of having to care for multiple wives. Or as some theologians think, maybe actually the fathers of these foreign women played into this. They were requiring the Jewish men to divorce their Jewish wives so that their daughters would be number one. If you want to marry my daughter and you want to get her dowry, you need to get rid of that other woman. Whatever the reason, Malachi is calling out these men, these covenant men. He's calling out their actions. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, what God has joined together, let no man separate. See, the key is on the idea of one flesh. God establishes, this one God establishes a covenant of one flesh between the married couple. 
When I was a youth pastor, I used to have to talk about the, the idea of the covenant of marriage and the importance of the union of marriage. And so to demonstrate this, oftentimes I would take duct tape and I would put it out, I'd cut off two pieces and I'd slap them together. And I'd find the strongest, most athletic individual in the room and I'd say, come here and try to begin to tear these apart. Inevitably, they would make a mess, strips and pieces but never able to take apart the bonding that occurred between the duct tape pieces. That's a picture of the oneness that marriage is supposed to have. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, which was already read. As it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But interesting enough, it goes on and says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Church, hear me this morning. Marriage represents the relationship of Christ with his church. A relationship in which Christ was willing to die. Can we do any less? The answer of Paul in Ephesians is no. Malachi says in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her covers his garment with violence. Another way of saying this is, one translation put it, it says, it overwhelms her with cruelty. That's the breaking of the covenant, the oneness. This is a heavy passage as we talk about sin of intermarriage with people who don't love God as we talk about divorce. I recognize this is a heavy passage. I recognize also that we live in a broken world. A broken world in which we not only sin, but we are also sinned against. Some of you sitting in this room right now may have been in a relationship, a marriage where you were abused or abandoned. Or maybe you were a victim of adultery. Hear me this morning, Malachi is not talking to you. Malachi's correction is for those who are causing the divorce. And some of you may be sitting here saying, yeah, that's me. I caused the divorce. Brother, sister, there's good news in the cross of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for all who repent. Praise God for the gospel. That's the good news that we cling to. But see, in this text is a picture of a covenant faithful God calling his faithless people back to himself. And what is he calling them to do? Well, two times he mentions it. He says, be on guard. Look at verse 15. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Look at verse 16. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Do not be faithless. Guard yourselves. Why? Because an unguarded heart willfully breaks covenant. Church, hear me this morning. Sin begins in the heart, and so therefore we must guard our hearts. Our text talks of people covering the Lord's altar with their tears. 
But the issue is their hearts were in the wrong place. They cried because God was not accepting their offerings on their terms. Hear me this morning. A profaned life brings profaned worship. Let me say that again. A profaned life brings profaned worship. Yes, it's true. They were going to the temple. Yes, it's true. They were attempting to keep a portion of the law by showing up and bringing a sacrifice. But hear this this morning. They were ignoring other parts of Scripture. They were ignoring the intermarriage laws. They were ignoring the laws against divorce. And what does James say? James 2.10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, he's become guilty of all of it. And so Malachi puts his fingers in the chest of these individuals. And he calls out their sin. Yes, he sees their tears, but understand their tears were not tears of true repentance. They cry because they weren't getting their own way. Look at verse 14. They ask, but why? Why won't he? They're like children who blatantly disobey, and yet they're still surprised when they're punished. How is that us this morning? How is that us? But the most beautiful thing about this text is the focus of God's love. See, the oracle began with love, and even in our text, God talks about the sanctuary whom he loves. And so God has sent his prophet to his people to call them to repentance. God, out of love, is calling his people to repentance. And what does true repentance look like? Our confession of faith actually helps us with this. The Shorter Catechism, question 87, says, What is repentance unto life? Listen to the answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, what does he do? With both grief and hatred for his sin, he turns from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. What is the catechism pointing us to? It's pointing us to the fact that the true repentant heart hates sin. It wants to run from it. It's a 180 degree turn rather than running towards the sin that it treasured for so long. Now it treasures God above all things and it turns and it runs to God. That's what repentance looks like. Real grief, real hatred from sin. Turning to God with full purpose. Notice the language, it's beautiful. Full purpose and endeavor thereafter. For what? Obedience. That's what guarding your heart looks like. The bottom line is we need to repent. We need to repent where we failed. Each and every one of us who's let our hearts wander because we haven't guarded our hearts. We need to repent. We also need to find forgiveness in Christ. We need to apprehend the mercy that is found at the cross. Yes, we must hate sin. And yes, we must love Jesus 
But the bottom line is we must guard our hearts. I like what one man said, the time to repair a wall is when the first crack appears. For many of us, we wait till pretty much the whole wall is collapsed before we do anything about it. Guarding your heart means repairing the wall when you see the sign of the first crack. Guard your heart, church. Guard your heart. You have a God who loves you immensely. A God who is faithful to his vow to you. Who's calling you to be faithful to him. And even when you're not, he pursues you. Much like the book of Hosea where we saw the prophet Hosea pursuing his unfaithful wife Gomer. We see in this text God's faithfulness for his faithless people. Calling them to repentance. Yes, it's true. God will correct you. But God loves you. He loves you and therefore that is why he corrects you. He loves you, therefore he calls you to repentance. Church, hear me this morning. The gospel is the greatest picture of covenant faithfulness there is. Look at the length God was willing to go to be faithful to his promise. He was willing to send his own son into a world of sin where Jesus had to basically deal with everything, fallen people and brokenness and lying and debauchery, and he faced all of that faithfully. For what purpose? So he could die for you. What a beautiful picture of God's love. The gospel is such a wonderful picture of covenant faithfulness. And Jesus who was faithful even to the point of death. Can we do anything less? Should we do anything less? Absolutely not. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. God knows you. And God knows your heart. Be fully devoted to him. Guard your heart. Remember, an unguarded heart willfully breaks covenant. Guard your heart. May we be able to say what the psalmist who says in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense in me and lead me away to everlasting. The psalmist captures it, the heart the desire, the pursuit. Church, remember that we have a Father up above who's looking down in love. May we seek to love Him as He has loved us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for these minor prophets. We are thankful how they get into the crevices of our lives and they will not leave us alone as they continue to put their fingers in our chest and call out our junk. God, may we be faithful in our response. May we turn from sin 
May we turn from hearts that are wandering and lusting and craving all the things that we think we need when really you are the one we need. God, produce in us hearts that are repentant. For apart from you, we can do nothing. Help us to love you greater than we love the sins that we so easily hold on to as we try to worship you. The picture of those men taking their mistresses into the temple to present sacrifices, Lord, that's us. There's things we need to let go of, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to let go of them today. Help us to love you more than we love the things of this world. God, draw us to yourself. And thank you that we know that Jesus came, he died, so that we might live. We pray this now in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.